Chapter Sixteen of the Trail of the Hawk. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. Trail of the Hawk by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter Sixteen. The SS Panama had passed Wadling's Island and steamed into Storyland. On the white scrub decked, after the wheelhouse, Carl sat with his friends of the steerage, sturdy men, all used to open places, old Ed, the rock-driller, long, Irish, huge-handed, irate, kindly. Harry, the young mechanic from Cleveland, Ed and an oiler were furiously debating about the food aboard. Ah, it's rotten, all of it. Look here, Ed, how about the chicken they give the steerage on Sunday? Chicken? I didn't see no chicken. I see some seagulls, though. No wonder there ain't no seagulls following us. They shot em, cooked em on us. Say, mused Harry, make me think of when I was shipbuilding in Philly. No, it was when I was broke in K.C. and a guy. Carl smiled in content, exulting in the talk of the men of the road, exulting in his new blue serge suit, his new silver-gray tie with no smell of the saloon about it, fingernails that were growing pink again, and the sunset that made glorious his petty prides. A vast plain of unrippling plum-colored sea was set with mirror-like pools where floated tree branches so suffused with the light that the glad heart blessed them his first flying fish leaped silvery from the silver sea and carl cried almost aloud this is what i've been waiting for all my life aloud to harry say what's it like in kansas i'm going down through there some day he spoke harshly but the real Carl was robed in light and murmurous wake of evening, with the tropics down the skyline. Lying in his hot steerage bunk, stripped to his undershirt, Carl peered through the stateroom window to the swishing night sea, conscious of the rolling of the boat, of the engine shaking her, of bolts studding the white iron wall, of life preservers over his head, of stokers singing on the gangway as they dumped the clinkers overboard, the Panama was pounding on, 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 and he rejoiced. This is just what I've wanted, always. They are creeping in toward the wharf at Colon. He is seeing Panama, first a point of palms, then the hospital, the red roofs of the ICC quarters at Cristobal, and Negroes on the sun-blistered wharf. At last he is free to go to shore, in Wonderland, a melody of Colon and Cristobal Panama, and the canal zone of 1907. Spiggity policemen like monkeys chattering bad Spanish, and big smiling canal zone policemen in khaki with the air of soldiers, Jamaican negroes with the conical heads and brown Barbados negroes with cockney accents, English engineers and lordly pugries, and tourists from New England who seem servants of their own tortoiseshell spectacles, comfortable ebon mammies with silver bangles and kerchiefs of stabbing scarlet dressed in starched pink and blue gingham, vendied guavas and green Tobago Island pineapples. Carl gapes at Panamanian nuns and Chilean consuls, French peasant laborers, and indigent Irish foremen and German concessionaires with dueling scars and high collars, gold Spanish signs and spigotry money, and hotels with American cuspidors and job hunters, tin roofs and arcades, shops open to the street in front, but mysterious within, giving glimpses of the canny Chinese proprietors, smoking tiny pipes, 
trains from towns along the canal, and sometimes the black funeral car, bound for Monkey Hill Cemetery. Gambling houses, where it is considered humorous to play, where is my wandering boy tonight? On the phonograph, while wandering boys sit at poker, and less cleanly places named after the various states. Negro wenches in yellow calico dancing to fiddle tunes older than voodoo, Indian planters coming sullenly in with pale green bananas, memories of the Spanish main, and Morgan's raid of pieces of eight and cutlass hoe, capes of coconut palms running into a welter of surf, huts on piles streaked with moss, round whose bases land crabs scuttle with a dry rattling that carries far in the hot, moist, still air, and suggests the corpses of disappeared men found half-devoured. Then, for contrast, the transplanted north, with its seriousness about the service, the American avenues and cool breezes of Cristobal, where fat, bald chiefs of the ICC drive pompously with political guests who, in 1907, are still incredulous about the success of the military socialism of the canal, and where wives from Oklahoma or Boston, seated in Grand Rapids' golden oak rockers, on the screen porches of bungalows, talk of hats and children and mail orders and cards, and the colonel and malaria fever, and Chiquita and the colubrate slide, colon, a kaleidoscope of crimson and green and dazzling white, warm-hued peoples and sizzling roofs, with echoes from the high endeavor of the canal and whispers from the unknown bush, drenched with sudden rain like escaping steam, or languid under the desert glare of the sky, where hangs a gyre of buzzards whose slow circles are stiller than death and calmer than wisdom. Lord, sighs Carl Erickson from Jeroleman, this is what I've wanted ever since I was a kid. At Pedro Miguel, which the canal employees always called Peter Miguel, he found work, first as an unofficial timekeeper, presently after examinations as a stationary engineer on the roll of the ICC. Within a month, he showed no sign of his bowery experiences beyond a shallow hollow in his smooth cheeks. He lived in quarters like a college dormitory, communistic and jolly, littered with shoes and cube-cut tobacco and college banners, clean youngsters dropping in for an easy chat, and behind it all, the mystery of the bush. His roommate, a conductor on the PRR, was a globetrotter, and through him Carl met the adventurers whom he had been questing ever since he had run away from Oscar Erickson's woodshed. There was a young engineer from Boston Tech, who swore every morning at 7.07, when it rained boiling water, as enthusiastically as though it had never done such a thing before, that he was going to Chihuahua mining. There was Cockeye Corbett, an ex-sailor who was a moral and a Lancashireman, and knew more about blackbirding and copra and canaks and the rum holes from Nagasaki to Mambosa than it is healthy for a civil servant to know. Every Sunday, a sad-faced man with ash-colored hair and bony fingers, who had been a lieutenant in the Peruvian Navy, a teacher in St. John's College, China, and a subcontractor for railroad construction in Montana, and who was now a minor clerk in the cool, lofty offices of the Materials and Supply Department, came over from Cologne, relaxed in a tilted back chair, and fingered the Masonic charm on his horsehair watchguard. While he talked with the PRR conductor and the others about ruby hunting and the relief of Peking, 
and where is hector macdonald and is john orth dead and shall we try to climb chimbazo and chisoot guns and pig-sticking and swahili tribal lore these were a few of the topics regarding which he had inside information the other drawled about various strange things which make a man discontented and bring him no good carl was a full member of the circle because of his tales of the bowery and the great riley show and because he pretended to be rather an authority on motors for dirigibles about which he read in aeronautics at the y m c a reading room it is true that at this time early nineteen o seven the wrights were still working in obscurity unknown even in their own dayton though they had a completely successful machine stowed away and as yet glenn curtis had merely developed a motor for captain baldwin's military dirigible but langley and maxim had endeavored to launch power-driven heavier-than-air machines lively santos dumont had flipped about the eiffel tower in his dirigible and actually raised himself from the ground in a ponderous aeroplane and in may nineteen o seven a sculptor named delrange flew over six hundred feet in france various crank inventors were solving the problem of flight every day man was fluttering on the edge of his earthly nest ready to plunge into the air carl was able to make technical sounding predictions which caught the imagination of the restless children the adventurers kept moving the beachcombing ex-sailor said that he was starting for valparaiso started for san domingo and landed in tahiti whence he sent carl one postcard worded what price t t the engineer from boston tech kept his oath about mining in chihuahua he got the appointment as assistant superintendent of the trace rays mine and he took carl with him carl reached mexico and breathed the air of high-lying desert and hill he found rare days purposeless and wonderful as the voyagers of ancient norse ericsons days of learning spanish and sitting quietly balancing a thirty-two twenty marlin waiting for bandits to attack the joy of repairing machinery and helping to erect a new crusher nursing peons with broken legs and riding cow-ponies down black mountain trails at night under an exhilarating splendor of stars it never seemed to him that the machinery desecrated the mountain's stern grandeur stolen hours he gave to building of box kites with cambered wings after rapturously learning in the autumn of nineteen o eight that in august a lanky american mechanic named wilbur wright had startled the world by flying an aeroplane many miles publicly in france that before this on july fourth nineteen o eight another yankee mechanic glenn curtis had covered nearly a mile for the scientific american trophy after a series of trials made in company with alexander graham bell j a d mccurdy casey baldwin and augustus post he might have gone on until death dealing with excitable greasers and hysterical machinery but for the coming of a new mine superintendent one of those englishmen stolid red-mustached pipe-smoking eyebrow-lifting who at first seemed beefily dull but proved to have known every one from george moore to marconi he inspected carl hundreds of times then told him that the period had come when he ought to attack a city conquer it build up a reputation cumulatively that he needed a contrast to platonians and bowery bums and tropical tramps and even to his beloved engineers you can do everything but order a petite dore a deux but you must learn to do that too 
Go make ten thousand pounds and study Pall Mall and the boulevards, and then come back to us in Mexico. I'll be sorry to have you go, with your damned old silky hair like a woman's and your wink like Gutierrez when it comes up here to threaten us. But don't let the hinterland enslave you too early. A month later, in January 1909, aged twenty-three and a half, Carl was steaming out of El Paso for California. With one thousand dollars in savings, a beautiful new Stetson hat, and an ambition to build up a motor business in San Francisco. As the desert sky swam with orange light and a white-browed woman in the seat behind him hummed Mercetta's song from La Bohemie, he was homesick for the outlanders, whom he was deserting that he might stick for twenty years in one street and grub out a hundred thousand dollars. End of chapter 16